0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird.
1: Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we complete our study of the book of Romans, I just praise you for your word, for the truth and for the steadfastness of it. We just pray that you would give us the power to embrace it and to live our lives by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we will finish the book of Romans. It's hard to believe that uh, we started this on the first Sunday of 2019. There's been a lot of talk as we finish this series, and one of the things that I've noticed is, is that because it typically takes me so long to go through a book that people kind of identify when they started their attendance here by what series I was in. And I've enjoyed Romans, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Whenever I finish these things, it always makes me a little sad because you get so used to being in, in one particular book. But God's promised us that his word does not return void. So I know that as we close out Romans and go on to another book, that the richness of God's word will bless us in the new book just as much as he has in the book of Romans. And not only do we complete the letter today, but we also complete the benediction that we've been studying. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of Romans. And the benediction is found in 25 through 27. Your title in your Bible may refer to it as either the benediction or a doxology. But if you look at that in the New Kings James Version, it reads, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery kept since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedient to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Also want to read it to you in the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And regardless of what version you're reading, there's one thing that Paul points out that is true in both cases in verse 27. Paul is giving God an exclusive attribute, an exclusive attribute. And that exclusive attribute, in the New King James Version says God alone wise. In the CSB, it reads the only wise God. And in both cases, we see where Paul is giving God an exclusivity in wisdom. In other words, nobody else has it. God alone is wise. And remember, as Paul is closing out his letter to the Romans, the Roman culture basically adopted the Greek culture. And they adopted the Greek gods. They just changed their name. And the Greeks and the Romans both had a pursuit of wisdom. So much so that you see that Paul referenced it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, as he described both Jews as well as Greeks. He said, Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. When Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 17, starting in the 16th verse, Luke recorded this starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? So in Athens, you have a pursuit of wisdom and they had philosophers that pursued wisdom. In in Acts 17, with the comment that you see with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, you see something in regards to humanity in their response to Paul. What does this babbler want to say? The Bible says that the natural man is at enmity with God. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 6 Paul said, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If the natural man is at enmity with God, it means that man has a different set of beliefs, ideals, and what they would define as wisdom. And you see it here in Athens with Paul's interaction with the philosophers. They didn't recognize Paul's wisdom from God, what does this babbler want to say? They were living under a completely different system, and that system was a false system. The world has a system, I've said this before, If you and I were to go out and do door-to-door evangelism and you would ask people at the door, why would a holy and righteous God allow you into his heaven? Every single person would respond with a system. The world has a system, a set of ideas. And the world system and the Christian system are two systems that cannot be reconciled. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55, starting in verse eight, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like us when we are in our natural state apart from Christ. This is so important for us to grasp as Paul finishes 16 in regards to salvation and how you and I as Gentiles come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because there are people who mistakenly believe that they can talk someone into accepting Jesus through logic or persuasion or emotion. But here you see that the natural man is at enmity and the natural man and the world system are opposed to the things of God. That's why in first Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse 18, Paul wrote, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Think about that in that verse. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Two polar opposites. One that's against the things of God and the other group of people that embrace the things of God. He goes on and says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And there you have it. Two systems, both claiming to be wise. And as the world looks at the cross, they think that it is foolishness but it's life for believers. And Paul goes on to say something else. You know, we always read that first part for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. We always kind of skim over 19, but think about 19 for a moment. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, God will destroy the world system. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians that everyone will bow the knee. Everyone will confess. Because at the end of the day, everyone will come to a recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for some, it will be too late. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 1 to expand upon the two different systems. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. There you have the two different systems and Paul outlines them in verse 20 and 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So how does one obtain The wisdom of God. I've already told you that there are two separate systems. There's worldly wisdom, and then there is godly wisdom. And Paul said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So how does one go from the camp where the cross is viewed as foolishness to the camp To where one believes that the cross leads to life. Still in 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 24. But to those who are called. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ. The power of God. In the wisdom of God. Think about that. Before you and I met the Lord Jesus Christ, we were in the camp where the cross was foolishness. We believed our own system. We pursued our own system. And when you think about the world right now, people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ are pursuing the things that they deem important in life that will give them some form of happiness. And you see all walks of life walking down a path that ends up with no satisfaction, no joy, no peace, no contentment, but they're pursuing those things that they say, if I can just get this, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. If I can just attain this in my career, I'll be happy. If I can just get this amount of money, I will be happy. If I will get this amount of notoriety and fame, I will be happy. And you look at some of the people that have come to know Jesus Christ that have pursued fame and fortune and then realized that they were at the end of the road and then they meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do they go from one camp to the other? Is it our intellect? Is it our logic or what drives me crazy is when people think that they just stumble upon it. I just stumbled upon Jesus. It's not that at all. And it's so very important that we understand this, that we move from worldly wisdom to godly wisdom, not out of might, not out of intellect, not out of happenstance, but we move into godly wisdom through the Lord Jesus Christ Calling us. I can't claim merit to it. I can't claim intellect. I can't claim logic. I can only claim. That God in his graciousness. Called me. And let me give you a couple of verses. That support that argument. When Jesus was having the conversation. With Nicodemus. And he was discussing with Nicodemus how a man can become born again. He says something in verse 8 of John 3 that's very enlightening. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. But cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born in the spirit. In other words. You can't see it. You can't justify it. You can't claim it. But God in his graciousness. In his mercy. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. There is only one thing that you can claim. And that is. Is that God called you in his graciousness. That he called us. And it wasn't. Out of our morality. It wasn't him looking down the road and thinking that we would accept God. That's the Arminian view that somehow God looked down before the beginning of the time and said, Oh, well, I know that Monty's going to pick me. That is a lie from hell. God chose me, He chose you, not because of. Our morality, not because of our righteousness, not in the fact that he looked down the road and saw that one day that we were going to pick him. He picked us in spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves, he chose us. And we have absolutely nothing in our life that we can claim for us accepting the Lord Jesus Christ other than his graciousness. Let me give you another example. Acts chapter 26. Paul is in prison. Acts 26, verse 28. After Paul lays out his case of Christianity, look at Agrippa's response to Paul. He said, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me. Paul's response. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become most, both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Now, two things are going on that I want to point out. Yes, we are chosen by God, but that does not eliminate our responsibility to proclaim our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We could take this hyper view of Calvinism, I'm a Calvinist, but we could take a hyper view of Calvinism and say, well, I don't have to witness, I don't have to share my faith because God's going to make it all right anyway. God doesn't need me sharing my faith. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus has given us a commission, right? The great commission to go out and share our faith. And in that, you see Paul doing just that. In prison, he takes that opportunity to proclaim his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that you see. The second thing that you see here with Agrippa is he says, You almost, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He didn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he could see its merits. He could identify its merits. But it wasn't enough to save him. You can't go from the world system to God's system in your own merit, intellect, or reasoning. It is God who calls us and moves us. He says, you almost persuade me. There was actually a hymn penned in those words. And I love the last verse. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad that bitter well. Almost but lost. Almost but lost. You can have a knowledge of Christ without having a saving faith. You can have a knowledge without a saving faith. The only way that you and I have a saving faith is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that at the end of times, you and I will appear before his throne and I am convinced that we will be shocked of how many people that had proclaimed a knowledge of Christ and were consistent in their religiosity, if you will, but we find did not have a saving faith. That only comes through God in his graciousness. Agrippa couldn't grasp the wisdom of God because he was not called. If you look back at those verses, back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, it says, Not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. It says he does this, that no one should glory in his presence. No one should glory in his presence. And sometimes as Christians, it's easy for us to fall into this trap of being self-righteous. That we've been in church for so long and we've been doing the things of church. And as we look at a world that's in continual decay, for us to go, man, I chose right. When in fact, we didn't choose at all. God chose. We didn't choose. And the one thing that that should lead us to do is that we should glory in God. And the reason why that we should glory in God is that Christ became wisdom for us. That's what Paul said in his benediction. That Christ is the wisdom of God. You see it in 1 Corinthians verse 30. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. It reminds me in Hebrews chapter 1, as the writer of Hebrews points out the magnificence of Christ. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, in upholding all things by the word of his power, and he has by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I want to point out specifically in verse 3, being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. In other words, Christ became wisdom for us because you and I can look at the life of Christ and we can see God and we can see his image and we can see his wisdom. Now, this is so important because last week I explained that some people look at their salvation as as a token or a currency, it, I've compared it to a bookend, oh, I got saved in 1976, well, I won't use that till I die, whatever day I die on, and then I'll use that transaction. But that's not salvation, because see, what salvation is, is that through the graciousness of Christ, he has opened our eyes, and we recognize the wisdom of God, and that wisdom of God comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really important because you and I have the Bible in which we can pick it up and we can read it. But not only do we read it, but we have the indwelling of the Spirit. In having the indwelling of the Spirit, our eyes have been opened. The veil has been taken away. And we understand the things of God. So much so that Paul says, I have the mind of Christ. Now... We're about ready to celebrate Thanksgiving this week. And I, my friends, can't lay claim to be thankful for anything more important than what Jesus Christ has done for us. He took the veil away. And we have the mind of Christ and we can't glory in any of it. We can only glory in the Lord. The other thing that I want to point out in verse three is that it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things, all things, not just your token to heaven. Now, if you think about that, People kind of want to compartmentalize their life, right? Well, I've got my work life over here, and i got my family life over here, and then I've got my religious life, and I have all these little beliefs, and they're all in these little compartments, and I go to that, and I work in that little compartment, and no crossover. It says that He upholds all things. I think it's so important for us to realize that He is not only Lord of all in the fact that he's Lord of all humanity, he is Lord of all things. And as the world's tried to remove Christ from science, from creation, from government, you and I need to look at Christ in the fact that he upholds all things. That's why everyone's going to fall at his feet. It's not just a ticket to heaven. He is Lord of all, Lord of all. And you and I need to live our life within that context and in that worldview of recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he gave his life for us so that we might have the wisdom of God. John in 1 John, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, says this life was manifested to us. I love that. This life was manifested to us. You and I could go out and we could witness today and there will be some people that just scoff. If you've done door-to-door evangelism, that's part of it. There are going to be people that scoff at you and they think that you're stupid you and I have been given the graciousness of God. And when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's not that the fact that you hit them up on a good day. It's not that you had the right words. Paul said, I did not come to you with what? Persuasive words. It's the power of God. And you and I have the wisdom of God. This is is salvation this is salvation salvation isn't just in the confines of when people are gathered around my grave they can say well i'm i'm at peace i know where money's at how boring and how does that limit the power of god As you and I live our life, everything in our life should point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be living our life with our families according to Christ. We should be working at our jobs according to Christ. We should be conducting our affairs according to Christ. We should be looking at how the world works according to Christ because we have the wisdom of God. I read earlier in Isaiah 55, and then his ways are different. His thoughts are different. We should be living our life differently. And that should lead us to glorying only in the Lord. Because it's not through flesh. It's only through his grace. And you and I have spent the last five years in Romans. Think about this. We've spent five years in Romans, and we understand it. Only because of God's grace. Only because of His grace. That's why we should praise God with a thankful heart as we understand His wisdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift in Christ, that the veil's been taken away, that we have the ability to understand, that through your Spirit our life is changed through your sanctifying power. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone who has never turned their life over to Christ, that today they might accept Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize why we should be so thankful. I pray that in our thankfulness that we might proclaim that to a lost and dying world as you've commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at MillCreekChurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Mill Creek Church. Prayer requests may also be left at MillCreekChurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.